Hannah, we're so proud of you. A lot of you don't realize. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hannah was part of our youth ministry many years ago, and she was just, she, she came, got all excited, and wanted to start a, uh, a dance team, a drama, drama team, dance team that would uh, go to Teen Talent and work, you know, for the Church of God, our young people. You can be seated. And she did so well, she immediately, she's just got a whole team, I mean, a whole team of people just jumped at the chance to work with her because she was so good. She was a fantastic dancer. And uh, in the Church of God back then, we called it choreographed movement. But she worked with our teens. This was 15, 15 years ago, maybe, 10, 15, 20, something like that, a long time ago. But she, uh, she took us to state teen talent, and then they went to nationals and uh, competed and, and always did a fantastic job. They placed at nationals and, and came home and just wonderful, but then... You know, things took place, and uh, she ended up in a car accident. From that car accident, she's been uh, challenged. Um, I don't ever like to say problems, not with Hannah, because uh, she, uh, she sees everything as a challenge in front of her. But she's got a quick word she wanted to give today for testimony, and uh, she didn't plan on it, but I just kind of threw a mic at her. But uh, Hannah, we love you. We honor you. And what's really important is that you need to know how important this is. This is the first time she's publicly danced since her accident. So I'm proud of you. We're proud of you. Yeah. Give us a word. So another thing you guys need to know about me is I hate speaking. Like, hate it. I told this to the first service. Um, Like, I could dance in front of thousands of people because I was put into dance at a young age by my mom. So me and my sister kind of grew up in dance and that's where the love of dance started. But then when I went to youth for the first time, I was nine watching my big sister um, in youth and she was on the drama team and doing dance and I wanted to be like, just like my big sis. And I, that was when Pastor Ray was the youth pastor. And I got a pleasure to be his youth kid. And um, so I look at him like a big spiritual guidance father, whatever you want. I go to his office all the time like, Ray, I need help. I need help. But um, I grew up in this church, and and the one thing that I loved doing was I love dance, obviously. But the feeling that I got, not just like when I danced at competitions, because that's what we used to do when she put me in dance, but when I danced up here, I just put a post on Facebook and it just talked about how many like, like tears I dropped on this floor, how many times I just, I gave everything to God while dancing up here. And so, yes, I've been paralyzed for seven and a half years, but it's been eight and a half years since I've been up here. And when I first got in the car accident, um, I was told that I was, I was prophesied over. I actually, it's a really long story, but I'm not going to get into that. It's just, I was prophesied over by somebody that I would go through something really hard, but not to worry that God was going to heal me. Then after that, 
And all through these seven and a half years, I have been told over and over so many times, I can't remember every prophecy, but that, that I would, the same prophecy that was told to me, that he was going to heal me, that he had a specific time that he was going to heal me and he would miraculous heal me. Now, I tell this story all the time, all the time. So I'm, I apologize for like taking too much time, but I, I tell it all the time because so many people in this day and age, they lose faith. And me, I was told by a doctor that I would have, I had less than 1% chance to ever walk again. So for me, when people ask me that, like, are you going to ever walk again? Like I smile and I'm like, well, the doctors say that I have less than 1% chance. And they're like, why are you smiling? And I'm like, because I know I'm going to be healed. And when I am healed, everyone will know it's only because of him. So I know that if I being paralyzed, that he can heal me, then he can do miraculous wonders to any one of you guys out there. Cause we're all in need. We've all lost things. Grace, who I just danced with, I think I would rather be paralyzed for the rest of my life than ever lose a child. So I thank her so much for being up on stage with me. Seriously, we all. But I just know that God is a, he's a healer, he's a deliverer, and I have grown very close to him in these last seven years and it's been really hard really hard but I know that he is faithful 100% and I know I will walk and I will dance again with my feet but until then I'll dance in this wheelchair so you're stuck with me (laughs) amen amen Say hello to her mom. Sister Ann Rock is back in the back here. Ann, wave at everybody. They can see you, proud mama. We know you're very proud of her, and we're happy to see you today. You've had your own struggles when you come to be able to be with us in church today. If you, uh, I know you just stood, but you're going to stand again for the reading of God's word, not for me. If you'd stand for the reading of God's word, and we'll turn to Psalm 119, verse 153. Longest psalm in the Bible. This is uh, also, it's unique um, in that it's an acrostic. If you're familiar with what an acrostic is, it takes a letter and you you make, you know, you do something connected to each letter of a word or whatever. Well, this, way, way, way back in ancient times when the Holy Spirit was inspiring the Word of God, this psalm was written as an acrostic to the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and for each letter, there are exactly eight verses, eight stanzas that go with this song, which is a song of praise, which is interesting because they wrote a song of praise for the Word of God, because if you, when you read Psalm 119, you cannot believe the love the writer has for the Scripture, for the Holy Word of God. Many debate back and forth as to who wrote Psalm 119. It looks an awful lot like David. It sounds like him. It 
it's in the venue and the wording that David would have used, but they don't mention the writer, so no one's allowed to assume that. We'll just have to, you know, when we get to heaven, we'll have to ask. In the meantime, Psalm 119, verse 153, the writer is talking about something that's important for us today. Um, something I feel that the Lord has put on my heart, and yet at the same time, I must tell you, this has been so far, I've already had one service, this has been one of the hardest messages for me to preach. Not because of the content as much as the resistance that I feel from the enemy that does not want you and I to get a clue. He doesn't want us to understand and know some of the things that the Lord will share and reveal to us today through his word. So let's look at the the word of God and, and we'll get right to it. Consider my affliction and deliver me for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Salvation is far from the wicked. They don't even seek your statutes. Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your judgments. Many are my persecutors and my enemies, yet I do not turn from your testimonies. I see the treacherous and I'm disgusted because they do not keep your word. Consider, look, behold, see how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord according to your loving kindness. Then I love this verse 160. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. That is such a powerful verse right there. I mean, that is so powerful. At least 10 people ought to have run a lap as soon as I read that. The entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. The English Standard Version says it like this. The sum total of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Lord, we ask your blessings on the word of God. I ask you to touch us in this hour. May the power of your Holy Spirit remove any distractions, any hindrance, Lord, let your word go forth in power to speak to your people. Touch this preacher that I would hide in the shadow of the Almighty. And that your words would touch the people. And I thank you for it in advance. For that is your will and your purpose. And we pray your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Psalm 119 is all about the glories of the word of God. The scripture that stands out to me is found a little higher up in this chapter. It's verse 88. It says, revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth, which you've spoken. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. What powerful words. I mean, when you really take them apart, dissect them a little at a time, you cannot believe how powerful those words genuinely are. They're 
They're words that you want to just keep reading over and over again. And the awesome thing was that they were a song. So there was a musical melody to this song, to this line of, of, that we're reading. And so it's really beautiful. And as I mentioned, that English Standard Version, it has a different take on, on how it presents the, the message of this particular passage in Psalm 119. I want to read it to you. It, it says, Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. And then it goes on and it says, Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. And then it says, Many are my adversaries and my persecutors, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. And then he ends it with the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. I'm blown away by how he goes back and forth. He says, behold how I love your word. See how much I love your precepts. Do you, Lord, your word is life. Your word is forever settled in heaven. But then he throws in and he says, revive me. Refresh me. Resuscitate me. That's what that means, you know, revive. Wake me up. The word, the Hebrew word, revive me is kalya, and it means give me life. That's what the, the Hebrew, um, Strong's Hebrew says. It says give me life. So that version uses the Hebrew meaning of that word, give me life, revive me, wake me up. Obviously, he's going through struggles. Obviously, he's going through persecution. He's got adversaries. He, he's got all kinds. He says, plead my cause. He says, look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. He's obviously faced danger, opposition, enemies on every side, oppression. He's wore out. He's struggled. He's got the battle scars to prove it. But he believes God's word. And so he says, Lord, in spite of what it looks like, in spite of what I'm facing, in spite of the, 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 the struggle and the, the scars I'm carrying in my body, Lord, I know your word is settled. I know your word is true. And so revive me, refresh me, wake me up. What I got and what I've been getting from the Lord over the last couple of days is that he wants his church once again to wake up to the truth we already know. To be revived to the truth that he said would set us free. To live out the precepts and the promises, the testimonies of God in our lives. I believe the Lord is tired of seeing a weak church. He's tired of seeing fathers and husbands who are weak and are not leading spiritually, are not leading their homes. I believe he's tired of seeing families that, that, are, that are not putting a priority on service and worship and honoring God and his word. I believe the Lord is getting ready to come. I believe he has such a passion and such a love for his bride that he cannot, will not sit back and watch her be beggarly and weak falter he wants to send revival the prayer is obvious he's desperate he's crying out 
I don't mind to tell you, Brother Phil, as I've been reading and studying over this, that's exactly where I found myself. I found myself pacing and walking the floor in my home last night and early, early this morning, crying out for revival. God, wake me up. Lord, refresh me. As the pastor, it must begin here. I'm accountable. I'm responsible. God, I answer to you. Revive me. Refresh me. Anoint me today. And as soon as I walked in the doors, I felt the resistance of the enemy. You know why? Because he doesn't want a church to wake up. He doesn't want a church to be alive. He doesn't want you as a Christian to come out of your stupor and to come out of your, 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 your numbness spiritually. He doesn't want you to open up your heart to the fire that once brought great flames of glory into your heart. He doesn't want that passion and compassion for the word of God to once again touch you until you'll literally speak by faith and declare the promises of God. He doesn't want you to walk in boldness and to lift up that blood-stained banner unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants a dead, dry, numb, weak, beggarly, fatigued, Christian who is not a witness and not an example to this world and that is what we have by and large out there God wants to wake us up wants to wake us up the writer here is desperate he's longing for God to breathe on him he says I love your word I understand your word I know it's truth I know it's promises you've made. I know that it's testimonials. Others have experienced victory. They've experienced your word. I've seen others healed of cancer. I've seen others who got a, a marriage put back together. I've seen others who had a prodigal that miraculously came home. I've seen over and over how God has brought the victory and brought testimonies into the hearts and lives of his people. He's saying, I've seen the testimonies. I've held on to them. And so, Lord, revive me. Wake me up. In these last days, it is so important that we understand we are there. I'm telling you, we are there, church. If we ever thought he was coming, we need to know he's coming now. We need to wake ourselves up and be in tune. I don't know if you keep up with prophetic circles and the things that are being said out there on the spiritual forefront. But I'm here to tell you, there is a lot of chatter and a lot of talk among pastors. I was at a, a state council meeting just a few days ago and, and we were sitting around a table talking about the fact that there is such a stirring in the body of Christ. There is such a momentum, such an energy, something that is taking place. We feel and discern in the spirit that something is happening in the heavenlies. Let me tell you something. You, you, you carry all these things. We're so busy and we stay so, so numb to things spiritually that we've lost track. We get caught up in worldly things and unbelievable things that take our time and our attention and we've lost track of the love we once had for his fellowship. We've lost that love and compassion once again for his word. We've lost that hour of prayer that we used to captivate and take our heart and mind. We've lost those things and I'm telling you, it's time this cry from this pulpit this morning. The enemy cannot stop this word from going forth. He's calling on his church. He's calling on men and women to once again stand up, 
shake yourself and get yourself in a right position and standing with God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's what needed to be said. Forever thy word is settled in heaven. The writer is saying, deliver me. He goes through problems just like you and me. Deliver me. I'm struggling. Got troubles, got trials. He says, according to your word, deliver me. According to your word. You see, it's a simple cry to say, God, I I need to quit being so self-centered, selfish, greedy, lustful. And I need to once again pray the prayer Jesus prayed in the garden. Not my will, but thine be done. We sing the song and we shout and we dance and we clap. Heaven, heaven on earth. We say we want it. But in the back of our minds, we're singing, my way, my way. Because of that self-centered kind of thinking and living, you struggle, you fight, you're weak, you're indifferent, lukewarm. We all know what the word declares and says to us about what that means. Thy will be done. Of all the 176 verses in this one chapter, He's asking for one thing consistently all throughout that word. He's asking for revival. Revival. He says a revival according to your promise, your statutes, your law, your testimonies, your commands, your rules, your truth. And even says in one point, according to your steadfast love. Because we all know this word is about his love for us steadfast, unmovable, unshakable, unconditional love. How many times in my life as the scriptures, these promises, these statutes, these laws, these testimonies, these commands, have they come to my rescue? I remember as a young man, I, I was very young, and I was downstairs with my cousins, and one of my cousins pushed me into a wall. I was on a big wheel and he was bigger than the big wheel and he shoved me right into a concrete wall and I got a concussion lost my memory for a whole day and a half I have no idea what happened during that time all I know is that I woke up this 12 13 year old boy (coughs) sitting in a bathtub and my mom handed me a wash rag and I was like this is a nightmare For years after that, (coughs) I suffered with migraine headaches. Only 3% of of men, males, usually have those. But I was, because of this, it seemed like that's what happened after that. I, (coughs) pardon, I had these headaches. (coughs) Pray for me. (laughs) 
And I remember, <clears throat> I remember, goodness gracious. I remember the night that I was suffering so bad. I had been in, for days and days and days, I'd suffered with this headache. And uh, the longest one ever lasted for me was about 11 days straight. And I had this headache. It had been, lasted for days. And I had to go to school the next day. And I went to bed early in the evening. Went to my room. <coughs> turned off the light. And I wanted to just go to sleep. Hoping it would help. When suddenly my mom slipped into my room. And she came over by the bed where I was. She got down on her knees and she prayed for me, anointed my forehead with oil. She prayed over me, prayed in the spirit. And then she had a, a small Bible. And she reached up and she put the Bible in the, uh, under my pillow. And when she put it under my pillow, I said, Mom, what is that? And she said, it's the word of God. She goes, we're going to place it under your, under your head. And as a young man, I, I remember thinking, wow, you know, that's cool. <clears throat> but as I went to sleep that evening and woke up the next day, I seriously hope you're praying for me. <laughs> When I woke up the next morning, the headache was gone. And I remember imagining and thinking about how that affected my love for the Word of God. I couldn't believe the headache was gone. I couldn't believe that the Lord had healed me. And I saw such reverence to the Word of God that I was like, it was an unbelievable kind of feeling and sense of, of awe for the word. And from that time to this, I have always cherished the word of God. I have many, many, many Bibles. I collect Bibles. I love Bibles, but I keep them and I, I, I cherish them. I treasure them. I don't, if I have lay one of these on the back seat of my car, nothing else is allowed to be on top of it. I show reverence to the word. I don't just stack stuff on it. It isn't in a pile of books. It's always cherished and placed very sacredly wherever it is, this is a love for the word. And this writer is letting us know that this is the kind of love, the kind of compassion, passion he has, the kind of reverence he has for every word that comes out uh, of, the, of the scriptures. And you know, we can trace it back to Jesus who, who literally in that hour of temptation, and I've been to the Mount of Temptation in, in Israel where he stood on that mountain, the enemy facing him and tempting him, and yet he used this precious, precious word to fight back the enemy's attack against him. And I'm telling you, the word of God, the enemy doesn't want you to hear it, doesn't want me to preach it, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you until I can't talk anymore, and then I'll use my hands to tell you that thy wor the word of God, it said, heaven and earth 
will pass away, but my words shall never, ever pass away. It's powerful. It's sharper than two-edged sword. It's it's the, the cutting asunder of the soul and spirit. The word of God is healing. It is provision. It is restoration. It's reconciliation. It's deliverance. It's the power of God against the devil, against hell, against every disease known to man. The word of God. And so he says, I know this. I know this is true. So revive me, revive me, O Lord, give me life. But what exactly does that mean? We have our services, our revival services. We have, you know, we, we put flyers together with fire on them and we announce a big, big name speaker and a big name singer and we call it a revival. I'm telling you that's not, what the, that's not what the word talks about when it talks about revival. The word revival is not about a service. It's not about a singer. It's not about meetings. It's not about just a, a group of meetings. I'm telling you, I've been through one revival after another, and we call it a revival, and everybody has a good time, but I want to go to the kind of revival that brings dead things back to life, that changes lives and transforms them. I'm not interested in goosebumps. I'm not interested in hair standing up on my, on my arm. Those are, that's fine. I don't have a problem with it, but I'm here to tell you that I'm not about the emotional hype of a revival meeting. I want a, a powerful move of mighty God in my life, that one that transforms and changes my situation and my heart and my mind and my life. The problem we have is just understanding what revival really means. Revival, in order to have a revival, many people asking for revival and they've never been vibed. And somebody says, what does that mean? Well, a revival. I know, in, I'll teach you a little Spanish to my Spanish friends. Vive, or pronounced in Spanish as vive. Vive means to live. So in other words, you have to come to life before you can die and have to be revived. So you got a vibe. Y'all gonna be walking around going, hey, you got the vibe? <laughs> what happened at church today? We all got vibed. <laughs> Made alive. You gotta have life in you. The saddest thing is people walking around with religion. The saddest thing in the world is people walking around with religion. They've been indoctrinated. They've been brainwashed, but not soul washed. They have, they have a religion. They have a relationship with religion. They have a relationship with a preacher. They got a religion that they adhere to and they join and they, they live in and live out of, but they don't have a relationship. I'm telling you, when Jesus walked out of the garden tomb in Jerusalem, he walked out with keys to death, hell, and the grave. He came holding life, life, life more abundant. He wants to bring new life into everyone who comes in contact with him. He, he's not about a mediocre, average kind of existence. He's not about a weak and 
beggarly kind of relationship with him. He wants you and I to have the kind of power that will make a transforming difference everywhere we go. There are people that it's not just for you to have the experience. It's for everyone in the shadow and in the foreshadow of your life, your existence, your influence. There are so many people waiting for you to get vibed so that you can have power to be a witness of Christ in their lives. Revival. He's asking from a deep place inside of him. It's this connection with God. And when you have a true connection with God, can I just say what it don't look like? It don't look like a lot of what we see today. Worldliness. A lack of devotion. When's the last time you, I'm not talking about when's the last time you read your word because a lot of people read the word out of obligation and duty. I'm talking about when was the last time you opened it and tears rolled down your face because you couldn't believe what you were reading. You couldn't believe where it said, but you have overcome them. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When you walk through the waters, they won't overflow you or the rivers, they won't overtake you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, neither will the flames kindle upon you. For as he was with Moses, so shall he be with you. He is a refuge and a high tower. He's a mighty fortress. He's God, ever-present help in the time of trouble. When is the last time the words of life brought power to your mind and spirit and gave you? The sense of compassion for the word of God. When's the last time you were locked up in your prayer closet and your family was wondering, where in the world are you? When's the last time your children had to find you because you were locked up somewhere in a room and you were getting a hold of God? When is the last time your wife or your husband or your children heard you crying out in the middle of the night praying and lifting them up? How many, how many prayers have they heard you praying over them? How many times have you walked over to your mate and laid your hands on them and anointed them by the Spirit of God and prayed the prayer of faith over them? When is the last time you got lost in your worship? When's the last time you fell on your knees before God and gave him a surrendered heart? Revive us, O oh Lord. Revive us, O oh God. 1 Samuel 10 and 6 says, Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. God means to change you. God means to change me, you. He means to transform us. I'm afraid in these last hours before the coming of the Lord and trumpet sounds and the eastern sky is split and that old gate in Jerusalem is burst open, I'm, I'm afraid that before all of that takes place, there's a bride that is weak, bride that is dead. bride that has no oil in their lamp. 
oh, hear me this morning because I've wrestled over this. And obviously, as you've seen, I'm fighting over it. But I'm thankful because that means there's going to be results. Hallelujah. A lot of people out there trying to live a decent, good life. They try to make right choices and decisions, and they're doing it all on their own. But they find that when they try to do good, soon, soon they see that evil is present with them. They're trying to change by their own power. We've got churches by the boatload that are trying to change by their own power. They, they don't let anything happen in the services anymore they don't let a move of the spirit take place there's no freedom of worship anymore the things have changed we we gotta be a mega church and we gotta pack the pews and we gotta fill up the places and we gotta get the moolah we gotta do all those things that'll grow a church but we're not growing the kingdom the problem we have is that we've got too many preachers too many churches too many Christians who are walking around trying to fit in in a world that is dying, lost, and going to hell. And we've got to know we are the difference for them. We are the revival for them. They can mock you and make fun of you and talk about your religious weirdness. They can talk about the narrowness of your bigotry. But I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus said, narrow is the path that leads to righteousness. Few there be that find it. You and I have got to find it. Revive us, oh Lord. Revive us. Touch us once again, God. Oh, he means to change us. He means to transform us. He means for there to be a difference in our lives. He means for your house. If you're a holiness house, if you're a Christian home, if you're a spirit-filled family, then it ought to be like walking into heaven on earth every time somebody walks in the front door of your house. It ought to be that the Spirit of God goes before you, rests behind you, is over you and beneath you. It ought to be that you find yourselves in an ordered fashion, every step ordered of God. It should be that the favor of the Lord is following after you. You say, man, that you're presuming an awful lot don't we have to struggle and fight? Yes, we do. But he said, we are more than overcomers. We are victorious over the word of our testimony over and over and over again. He has declared, we will be victorious. Keep up the faith. Keep up the praying. Keep up the, the word in your heart. And don't stop fasting because I'm telling you, it's making an eternal difference. Revive us, oh God. Touch us this morning, Lord. I probably won't be very popular after this. Usually after a service like this, I have about 25 people who come and tell me, were you talking to me? So I guess it comes down to this. Yes. Yes. Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways 
and sinners shall be converted to you. Let me tell you, I don't know who's in your shadow. I don't know who yet is still lost and indifferent to God, but whoever is meant to be in your shadow, it's your, your relationship with God that's going to make the difference in their lives. They will be converted when you get your life together. There is a message that we need to hear this morning. Our lives matter to God and to the kingdom. When you are on or off, people say, oh, it ain't up to you to worry about that. Don't worry about me. I'll just take care of myself. Well, listen, that's not the way the kingdom works. When you come in contact with Jesus, he means for you to be an ambassador for Christ. He means for you to be a witness for him. He means for you to be light in a dark room. You're not to have a light in your heart and hide it under a bushel. No, you are meant to be a light, a city set up on a hill that cannot be hid. You are meant to be a part of the issue of building the kingdom. Revive us, O oh Lord. Revive us. It's the cry of my heart this morning, and I've gone way over. Stand with me. Gary, help me. Mm. Very quickly, I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are and meet me in the altar. As many of you can. I'm not asking for a certain kind of response. I want everyone under the sound of my voice to make your way to the altar, if at all possible. There's a shaking. It's happening in the prophetic world. It's happening all over the world right now. It is happening everywhere. Preachers, pastors, we're all talking about it. Everybody says, we don't know what's up. We're praying about it, but we don't know what, what he's doing. There's something happening in 2020. Something big. Something significant. And as I mentioned, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Anybody with common sense, Gary's going to figure out. I mean, the, the whistling in the trees. It's obvious. The immorality, the degradation, the wars, the rumors of wars, nations rising against nations, parents fighting with their children, children fighting with their parents, hatred everywhere, violence everywhere. It's a troubled world. It's a troubled world. But see, you and I would say, oh man, the world. Better be careful. Judgment's coming. I don't, I don't think so, isn't it? You say, what do you mean? 
I believe judgment is already here. Judgment's already started. And where does it begin? What? House of the Lord. It begins here. And so I'm thankful that I was up at 3 o'clock this morning. Walking my house. Asking God to touch me. So that I would speak to you and you and you and you. And I would share with you the need that we have for revival. Revive us. Give us life. Empower us. So that, Lord, everywhere we go, we are a huge neon sign to the world that you are alive. You are not dead. You're not just one of many gods. You're not just one religion on many on the shelf. You are the one omnipotent, almighty God. You have the words of life and death. The disciples looked at Jesus and Jesus said, will you, will you go away? He said, where else would we go? You alone have the words of life. Let me tell you, the world is messing with your brain. They're trying to brainwash you. They say you, we're brainwashing you. We're just trying to word wash you. There's a prescription for those who want to find Jesus. The world is mocking and making fun, attacking us, challenging us. But I love what Billy Graham did way back in the beginning of his career. He was a pretty decent guy. He said that when he was a young minister and he was just getting ready to go into ministry and things were just getting ready to explode, he was doing crusades and he was just getting ready to do a big one. I think it was LA and it was like the biggest one ever. It was going to be the thing that would catapult him into apostleship. And his best friend was a guy named Singleton. You may have read about it in his biography. Singleton went alongside him. They were preparing for ministry together, but Singleton got in, fell in with these theological aristocrats and they started asking all kinds of questions and trying to stir up doubt and they started looking for every reason not to believe and Singleton came to Billy and said Billy you, you got to stop this dude it, it doesn't make sense anymore it, it's all a farce it's all a lie he said it's his best friend they had been in this together he said it troubled him. He didn't know what to do. He, he trusted his friend. He, he started pouring all these questions he couldn't answer. Some things he didn't know. And it disturbed him. He said, God, if I can't trust the Bible, if, if I got all these questions now, I, I can't trust you. I, I can't do this. I'm going to cancel the meeting and I'm just going to go this way. So he was at a crossroads, right? When all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the Spirit of God got a hold of him. He said that in that moment, he looked up in the sky. And he, he couldn't get that, that, that presence of the Lord he was so used to. He said, but he looked up into the sky and he said, all I know is this. There may be questions 
I don't know. Maybe things I don't know the answers to. But there's a whole bunch I do know. And you've already taken me down this far. And so far, it's been 10 for 10. So, so by faith, by faith, I declare your God, and this is your word. I will believe your word. He said in that moment, the Holy Spirit filled his soul, touched his heart. And Billy Graham went on to bring millions to Jesus. He had to make a declaration. He made a declaration of, you know what? Revive me. Your word is life. Your word is settled. It's all I need in the whole world. I, about 3.30 this morning, I held my Bible up at my house. And I was like, I was remembering that story. And I said, God, I'm going to church this morning. And I'm going to preach this word. And I have faith that this word can change anybody. It can heal anybody. It can deliver anybody. Ain't nobody out of its reach. There's nobody it can't touch. There's, not, there's no one hard enough, cold enough, indifferent enough, lukewarm enough, or mean enough. There ain't nobody can, is, can outmatch or outwit the presence and the power of Almighty God. I have faith. And then right about that time, the Spirit of the Lord messed with me. And I felt the liberty and the freedom until I came into the church this morning. And then I felt like the wrestling match was going to be on. But you know what I feel right now? I feel like deliverance is taking place. That delivery has happened. And I believe a hunger is going to touch the hearts of our church. And we are going to be rooted in the deep, deep relationship of Jesus. It's going to touch our lives, transform us as a church, as a people. And guess what? I believe it's going to affect thousands of people outside of the doors of this church as we walk out empowered by him and by the glory of God. I'm asking him to revive us. I'm asking for him to give us life. He said the the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He says, but I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He's coming to heal. He's coming to deliver. He's coming to bring restoration and revival. You just better hang on to your hat. I don't know what's going to happen this week. I don't know what's going to happen next Sunday. All I know is that we need to be ready because I am ready to go toe-to-toe with the devil. I am not afraid. I am not ashamed. Somebody says, well, you ought not to fight the devil. I am not fighting the devil. The battle belongs to the Lord, and I'm going to fight with him. He's going to lead and guide me, and I'm not afraid of the enemy. I'm not afraid to fight him. I'm not afraid to look someone in the eye that has cancer or has other disease or a marriage that's falling apart. I'm telling you, it's time for revival. And when you are revived, you have been resuscitated. You have been given fresh life and you are renewed in him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not even going to ask you this morning because it's between you and God. I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand. You're standing on the altar right now. You need to get things right with God. You've been so far away from him. You can't even pray your way out of a paper sack. You haven't prayed in so long other than the obligatory 
prayer over your food when you do that. You've gotten so cold and indifferent to God, you're not even moved anymore. And you think it's everybody else's fault. The Lord wants to revive you. He wants to touch you. I believe he wants to set a fire down inside the hearts of all those who need to be woke up. And that's the first prayer. So we're going to pray right now. Would you just politely put your hand on the shoulder of somebody standing beside you? Very politely. I want you to pray for them right now. And then that means somebody else is going to pray for you. Would you pray right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray over our children. We pray over our husbands, our wives. We pray over the people next to us, our friends, our brothers, our sisters. God, we ask you to touch them, minister by the Holy Spirit. Breathe that fresh, powerful touch of the Spirit in their lives. Touch them right now. Move on them. Lord, I pray that you would literally begin. And as we talk, start that fire, that kindling down inside of their soul like the first day they ever got saved. Let them feel that churning once again of the moving of the supernatural down inside of their heart. Let them feel the touch of mighty God, powerful God, Holy Ghost over their soul right now. Oh God, begin to massage the hearts of your children until they once again beat with the passion of your, of your love in their lives. Let them one more time feel the glory of God and the truth of the gospel alive in their soul and in their heart, I pray. In the mighty, mighty name of Jesus, Lord, will you revive us? Will you move on your people today, God? In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, I feel. I didn't feel this way at the first service, but I feel light as a feather right now. I know that those that needed the message, that needed to sense the weight of it, the burden of it, God, they've got it. Oh, I thank you that our church, there'll be a difference from this moment forward. I thank you, Lord, there'll be a difference with your people. Lord, you are reviving your people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, very quickly before we go, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would just for a moment, if you need to be, as we talked earlier, you won't be offended if I say it like this. If you need to be vibed, if you need to be made alive, if you need a relationship with Jesus, you need to make things right. Sin is what separates you from him. And if you're standing here in this house this morning, and you'd say, Preacher, I need to pray to be right with the Lord. I don't want to leave here until I am. I am right, in right standing with the Lord. He already did all the hard work. All he wants you to do is accept him and believe him. If you pray that prayer with me, I want you to shoot your hand up and right back down. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Golly, Jesus. So many hands up. So many hands up. Any others? 
Anyone else? God bless you, sir. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay. We're going to pray this prayer. And as we pray this prayer, it's just words. If it doesn't come from deep down inside your heart, it's got to be that cry. But if it is the cry, it, it isn't shallow. If it comes from your heart, it means everything. Pray that you will pray this with me and you'll mean it with all that you are because if you do, the Bible says if a man or woman believes in their heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died on the cross, rose from the dead, if you accept Him in your life and you confess it before men, if you confess it with your mouth, then you are a born again child of God. So we're going to pray this prayer and if you mean that, I'm telling you all of heaven is aware and listening to your prayer. Let's pray together. Church, will you help me? Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I accept you as my Savior. Be Lord of my life. You are the Son of God. You died on the cross. You bought my salvation with your blood. You died, but you rose again. You walked out of that tomb and you purchased my salvation. I receive you today. I believe you today. I confess you. So according to your precious word, I'm saved. In Jesus' name, strengthen me. Be Lord of my life until you come for me. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Would you help me real quick to appreciate our pastor? He was Paul Revere today bringing the word. Just a couple of things really quick as you're heading out. Just a couple of really quick things. One is if you're interested in this Shalom ministry, uh, working with our homeless folks, that's in the conference room. That is straight across the lobby here into the two main hallways. You'll find the conference room. Also, if you signed up to be a part of the a volunteer banquet. Due to overwhelming uh, uh, participation, we've had to move the event to here to the church. So next Sunday night, the 26th, if you signed up this past week and uh, made the deadline and are part of the group, you are going to be in the gym next Sunday night at 6 o'clock for the volunteer banquet. We've had to move that location, so we just want you to know we want you to have an awesome day. Also, if you're new to our church, maybe today or in the last few weeks, the last month, we want to invite you down the corridor across from the uh, cafe into the bookstore to be a part of our meet and greet with uh, staff and the pastors. want to let pastor get down there and uh, so he can meet some new folks. God bless you all. Have a wonderful day. Remember, spend time with your family tonight. You can go on the church app. Get to the family devotion if you want to spend time with your family. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.